This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, February 27th, 2024 edition. And February is moving fast. We still have two more days since it is a leap year, a leap month. And so it's a little bit longer of a year, a little bit longer of a February for us. But whether we have 28 days in February or 29, your ultimate investment goals do not change. It's really about making smart decisions consistently with your money. And that's that's probably the best way to express the frame of mind everyone should have. It's easy to get caught up in the fear and the greed. It's easy to chase returns. That's what human nature forces us to do. And it's one of those things where you you want to think long-term, but it's hard. Um, this is a business or uh, an endeavor that you always have to learn. And that's what this is. The show is really about, about teaching you as much as possible. And one decision isn't going to solve your problems. It's about consistent, smart decisions with your money, both from a personal finance perspective, which we try to talk about some on this show. I know it's invest talk. So investing is always number one. Uh, but on the investment side, it, it's not about hitting that one grand slam. It's about singles and doubles more than that grand slam. Sometimes you do, but those are rare. Those are rare instances. And you can't just rely on those because if you add up all the singles and doubles, they're going to be bigger than whatever grand slam you might hit on one particular investment. So that's the goal here is to help you consistently hit those singles, doubles, and triples. Now, we're going to run down the market performance for today as well as some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hello, this is Jack in North Carolina. I was looking at a company, EQT, a natural gas energy company. Looked uh, like something that I might be wanting to move into now or in the, in the near term. Wanted to get your thoughts on this company and look forward to hearing your response on the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, looking at EQT. This is a independent oil and gas gas name, and it's about a sixteen billion dollar market cap. So I would say firmly in the mid cap space. You're right; it is mainly focused on natural gas. It does operate in the Marcellus and Utica Shale regions of the Appalachian Basin. That's mainly the eastern United States. Kind of think of Pennsylvania region that is an area, if, uh, if any company is operating there, most of their production is going to be in natural gas. And that's where EQT uh, lands. Now, 
It sells to utilities as well as industrial operators as well. So it's not just selling uh, into the home markets, it's selling to industrial. So that's good. Uh, if you look at its earnings and its balance sheet, it's pretty good. But it does have a little bit of debt, about $5.8 billion in debt, which on a $16 billion market cap in and of itself is not that high, not, not a huge amount. Compared to others, though, within the industry, other oil and gas names, most of them have repaired their balance sheets dramatically, dramatically over the past couple of years due to just massive amounts of profits. Now, those profits have come down. Same with UQT, $3.11 in 2022, so let's make $2.07 this year, but $5.11 next year. So if that's the case, if they are going to make $5.11, then I think this is cheap. If they stay around the two to $3 range, then this is probably too expensive. So it's about your conviction that next year they'll make $5.11. And I'd have to look into why that might be. Why is the market, uh, why are our analysts, excuse me, projecting that level of earnings next year? The technicals are okay, uh, but frankly, this is this is uh, the simplified answer. I think there's better options in the industry. It's a fine name. It has a fine balance sheet. Solid cash flows, but I think you can do better. You can find a bit of a bit better value, bit better diversity in its business. You know, the fact that it's so reliant on natural gas prices means more volatility. Uh, a, a a company, a lot of other companies, EMP companies, they operate in multiple shale basins and they produce both oil as well as gas, and so there's diversity in that type of business. So I don't like that it's solely focused on natural gas. Uh, and I think you can find a better one out there in the space, but I like the area that you are looking in. Now we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. Our main focus point concerns the Capital One and Discover merger and the strategy. And that's what we want to unpack here. We'll talk about whether this is good for Capital One or bad, but mainly it's about understanding the thinking. And I wanted to highlight this because it's, to me, one of the most interesting mergers from a strategic, strategic perspective that I've seen in a while. I kind of like it. But we're going to dig into that a little bit more, talk about digital payments uh, with tech companies, how agile software development has helped companies like Capital One, and whether this Capital One merger makes sense. Okay, we're also going to touch a bit on a survey. This is from Morningstar surveying U.S. investors. What they talk about are trendy asset classes, and they basically quiz these people and see how much they know about them. So we're going to look at those answers. Also, is there an echo of the current AI hype and the telecom boom of the late 90s? We're going to look at that. And then lastly, if we have time, China has dominated the solar market for a decade plus now. And with recent industrial policy that was passed last year, I think the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, that is pushing incentives for the U.S. to become a big player in solar. The question is, can we do it? We're going to look at the details there. We're also going to touch on a voice bank question in regards to volume and capitulation, as well as Fox, Fox Corp. 
Now, if we have time, I have a perspective as well on REITs and they've become a prominent fixture within investment portfolio. So hopefully we'll dig into that. Now we're going to a short break. Notice side, we'll talk about the market activity. Please remember you can call any time and leave your question on the InvestDoc Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about Intel, if it's worth holding on to or should I sell it? Their questions are curious. Hello, I have saved up around $80,000 and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Oh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit. Concerned. Uh, it's taken quite the tumble today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long. And clever. This seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population. And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero are always ready with their unbiased answers. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield. Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30. I just don't see it at this price. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the InvestTalk Anytime listener line, 888-99-CHART. Now, let's take a look at the market performance for today. It was, you know, it was a decent day in markets overall. Let me pull up the data here. Yeah, so the large caps are up about 0.2%. Small caps leading again for the second day in a row. That was pretty interesting is that small caps outperformed yesterday, and they definitely outperformed today up nearly 1%. It was pretty balanced, frankly, between growth and value. So I don't think either had a had a lead, at least in, in this one single day. Uh, you continue to get a lot of, oh, that's interesting. There's a lot of biotechs that were up big today. Um, I'm not sure why that was, but that typically does happen near the end of moves, to be frank. Usually the worst uh, businesses tend to get the last push, I will say that. You had some decent down days in companies like Unity Software. They provide software for the metaverse, shall we say. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, but not a whole lot of moves elsewhere, to be honest with you. So uh, kind of a flat to positive day for large caps and a good day for small caps. Uh, we have this PCE number on Thursday. That'll be a big market mover. Uh, and what I'm watching for, actually, is a breakdown in the dollar. Uh, it's starting to weaken here. For what reason? We shall see. But uh, it could be pretending to a weaker PCI number on PCE number, excuse me, PCE number on Thursday. So modest update, uh, but not a whole lot to uh, write home about. Now let's grab another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Appreciate what y'all do. Y'all are the consistent part of my day. Thank you. Question on volume and, and really just capitulation. So if you're looking at a stock chart and some of the data on it, when, you, when you're looking for capitulation, is there a, a general rule as to where what you're looking at, say, volume is three times the average all of a sudden that day or compared to 
you know, that day versus three months? What are you looking for on a capitulation type day? And where do you find it? Like if you if you didn't get to look at the market for a day or two and you saw a big movement, so you go to research it, where do you look for that volume and how do you know what really truly is? Is it two times, three times the amount that the activity of the investors is showing you, okay, you know, sentiment is this and that. What do you look for in terms of volume and capitulation? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Good question. And typically we're looking for roughly double, maybe triple uh, the average 50 day average volume. And so what he's talking about is when a stock is maybe in decline and this could happen the other way where stocks in a huge uptrend and then suddenly there's just a huge spike in volume. Oftentimes that's capitulation of shorts out of the market or out of that position saying, okay, I've had enough, had enough pain and they cover their positions. That gives uh, the market that that stock a big, uh, surge higher. And then once the volume kind of goes back to normal levels, you you can oftentimes get a reversal because of like the caller said, a capitulation. They're capitulating to, okay, I've had enough of this. Either we're short and it's gone up too much or we're long and it's gone down too much. Fear sets in and that giant surge in volume, like I said, at least double usually triple the 50-day average volume, that's a signal that, okay, the we've we've reached max, max fear on the downside or max greed on the upside. And you typically also want not just that spike in volume, that's one indicator, but you also want that reversal follow-through. Meaning, typically what happens is, when, a, when a, co- a company market is down significantly, you get that capitulative volume on a, a intraday, you reverse that same day, okay? And you close at the highs if it's, you know, the stock's been down or vice versa, where stock's going up, it, it has huge volume, big candle, all-time highs or 52-week high, and then it reverses and closes near the low of the day and then gets follow through that same direction the next day. And so that's what you're kind of looking for. Now we have charts. We use professional charts and volume. There are free, uh, is it free stock chart, stockcharts.com. It's a decent one. It's not amazing, but it's, you know, it's decent. Not nothing compared to the, you know, our professional tools, but you know, it could work if you know what you're looking for. Uh, but that's the way you think about capitulative, capitulative volume. There we go. I think that's the way to say it. Capitulative volume and uh, whether or not you've seen it or not. Now let me set up my focus point. And I'll start it now. We'll get into it deeper after the break. And it's really about the re- recent acquisition, a large ac- acquisition, $35.3 billion of Capital One for Discover Financial. And this launches Capital One uh, up there with the big boys. In fact, this deal itself will leapfrog, will allow Capital One to leapfrog JP Morgan as the biggest credit card company by loans in the country so it's going to separate them from the pack of kind of the smaller credit card companies and gives them a lot more diversity and there's some strategy behind this besides just getting bigger so we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break but my phone lines are open waiting for you number never changes it's always 888-99-CHART two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk. 
888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, uh, I was touching on the $35.3 billion acquisition of Discover Financial by Capital One and how this launches them into the big leagues. Both of these names typically kind of, uh, I would say, large mid caps, small large caps, however you want to want to put it. But the combined entity becomes pretty big. Now, it does have to get through regulatory approval. But what I want to discuss here more is the strategy. And I think this is an interesting strategy that could shake up the payment system because the payment network that Discover has is kind of a rarity. And current Capital One CEO talked about that, said in quotes, that network is a very, very rare asset. We have always had a belief that the holy grail is to be able to to be an issuer with one's own network so that one can deal directly with merchants, end quote. That's what uh, the current CEO of Capital One said. And this could upend Visa, MasterCard, and potentially American Express because there's market share there to be taken. And Discover has a very small market share that certainly could rise if they do the right things, right? They, they uh, maximize the value or the, the, the capability of that network. And when you're an issuer like American Express is, you know, American Express has been able to use their heft, use their payment network, use their client base to create rewards systems. Think the Capital One, uh, or not Capital One, the American Express Platinum Card. I have it, has some great perks. And I could easily see Discover, not Discover, Capital One using the Discover network to create a similar type product. And they're already going to switch all of its debit volume onto the Discover network away from Visa and MasterCard and grow the share of cards that are issued over time to Discover from Visa and MasterCard. So this is going to create an end-to-end ecosystem from shoppers all the way to directly to, to merchants. And so their goal here is to also fend off the fintech companies. Think Block, which used to be uh, Square, PayPal, Affirm, Klarna. These are all companies that have kind of nuzzled their way into the payment system. And so their goal is to, Capital One's goal is to deepen these relationships. And I love these type of transactions because they, if executed well, and that's a big if, if executed well, they can create a lot more value for shareholders than just simply laying a few, some people off and, and saving some cash, some, some money. And that's what most acquisitions, especially large acquisitions are companies that go out of their core competency and often get distracted from their main business. Whereas this, I think keeps you them, keeps them focused on their main business, but gives them vertical integration. And that's the lesson here too, is that vertical integration can be very, very powerful. Just think of Apple with their chips that they now use instead of using Intel chips. Now they're using their own microprocessors and they're very good and they're better than, you know, most, and it gives them a competitive advantage and that's, and it helps their margins as well. 
And so this is going to do the same thing, allows them to issue cards that can be taken pretty much anywhere uh, that Beast and MasterCard can, because most places like that, you can take Discover as well, uh, and make it more advantageous for merchants to take that card as well. So think of how merchants don't really want to take Amex because their fees are higher. Well, now they can undercut Visa and MasterCard. Now, there are risks to this, obviously, from a regulatory standpoint, but there's also a piece of legislation that's going to potentially hurt Visa and MasterCard for the benefit of Discover. So that's another regulatory aspect here. And it just shows you, this deal shows you the type of strategy that can be done with good M&A, both from a business structure standpoint, think of that vertical integration, but also from a regulatory standpoint saying, hey, if this regulation passes, we could be in the driver's seat and take advantage of this. And so I think this is a, a, one of the best acquisitions I've seen in a while. Now, do they pay too much is, the, is, is probably the next question. From a strategy standpoint, I think it's a maybe not a home run, but at least a triple. Now, it doesn't mean you go out there and buy Capital One. But certainly something to keep an eye on to see how much progress they make towards moving the market share of the Discover Network a bit higher. Now, the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this question. Why has Amazon joined the Dow? With just 30 components, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a smaller is a smaller average than the S&P 500. And the Dow is weighted by share price of the stock instead of the total market value of the companies. So we'll dig into that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing 
by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, InvestTalk. Thanks for what you guys do. Hope uh, Steve becomes healthy soon. But um, this seems like a pretty logical question. I'm looking at Fox, F-O-X, Fox News. And with the election cycle coming up, I'm trying to maybe see if this is an interesting maybe play on it because Fox News viewers are just dialed in, don't pay attention to anything else. And it's like this giant grifting network for uh, Donald Trump. I'd imagine that they're going to get a significant amount of profits from this election cycle. Looking at the chart, they're kind of down. What do you guys think? We're looking at Fox Corp, and yes, Fox News is part of their business, but it is only, frankly, a fairly small part of their business. It, their assets include Fox News, Fox Broadcasting Network, FS1 and FS2, so that's Fox Sports, Fox Business, the Big Ten Network, and they actually own 28 local t- television stations, Okay. And they own Tubi and Fox Studio Lots. Uh, So this is a diverse business, uh, at least within the media space. So don't just think of Fox Corp as just Fox News. Certainly it's an important part of their business, but it's not the end-all be-all. And and then just because their audience is fairly captured, remember, that's also not a growing population. So – if you look at their revenue, last three quarters, 0% growth year over year, 0% growth, and last quarter, negative 8% growth year over year. And earnings this year is supposed to fall 8%. And last quarter, earnings were down 29% year over year. And the relative strength is 22. It means only outperformed 22% of issues in the marketplace over the last year. Technicals are... Poor, simple way to put it. And then they have debt, about $5 billion in net debt. So while owning Fox News is a good business, it's not really a growing business. And it's not nearly all of their business. So you have to look at it as a whole. So no, I I wouldn't own Fox Corp for just Fox News. I think uh, uh, the trends in the business as well, more broadly and the stock uh, just say 
hold off. Thanks for the call. So let's talk a little bit about a survey. This is from Morningstar. And what they looked at were some, I guess, exciting asset classes. Ones that are talked about a lot. There are nine asset classes that they asked investors about. And this was, they surveyed 948 pre-retirement investors in the U.S. About these nine, whether they own the asset class, whether they're planning to increase or decrease their allocation, and quiz them on how much they knew about it. So they looked at BDCs, business development companies, commodities, cryptocurrency, private credit, private equity, REITs, semi-liquid intervals, separately managed accounts via direct indexing, and structured products. Now, more than half of the investors said they never heard of BDCs, direct investing, semi-liquid intervals, and structured products, which kind of makes sense. Those tend to be more esoteric, but 80% of investors said they could either provide the definition of a crypto or identify the definition in a given list, and almost 50% owned that asset. It's pretty surprising, a high number. More than half surveyed knew of commodities, but only 30% owned that, so pretty low number. Shows you sentiment there especially since crypto has been around a short period of time and commodities have been around forever. Now for seven of the nine asset classes, fewer than half of the investors surveyed felt they were confident that they could either provide a definition of what it was or pick that out of a list. And they only found about a 50% correlation between ownership and the ability to define what it is. And they found that those with less financial literacy were more likely to own the nine assets, meaning the less they knew, the more they owned of it. And so, and they were also drawn to the riskier assets as well. So what it kind of showed you was the average investor, once again, they have performance chase. They have a very short-term thinking, overly focused on the present market performance. Now, those with financial advisors, less so, because advisors, they tend to better educate them. However, not completely. And I think it's important for, and that's one reason why we do the show, is not just for our listeners, but for our clients as well. Saying, hey, tune in. We're teaching you every day about the different asset classes, the risk versus rewards, so that you can make informed decisions. Because our job is, is about education, but it's also a lot of times behavioral coaching. Meaning saying, hey, I know that there's a sexy asset class, right? You can always pick. It's always easy in hindsight to say, oh, it should have been here, should have been there. But how does that risk of that particular slice of the market compare to overall strategy as well as your risk tolerance level? Right? If you're kicking yourself because you don't own NVIDIA, but you're a pre-retiree or a retiree, NVIDIA probably doesn't fit, except for maybe a small slice, doesn't fit your risk tolerance criteria, most likely. But it's easy to get caught up in the emotions of the greed and chase. And that's what most people do. 
And that's what this survey basically says. So I wanted to highlight that because it's easy to throw money at an asset class. It's much harder to understand really what you're buying. Now let's keep things moving. That means I'll play another Invest Talk caller question from our 24-7 voice bank at 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Tom from the Atlanta, Georgia area. I'm calling today about a ticker I have not heard on your show yet, and it's keep my interest. It is B-A-T-R-K, the Atlanta Braves holding. So initially, I'm a big sports fan. I know I was kind of hoping to get in on the growth of sports. It seems like when teams sell, they always go to premium. I'm a big fan. Initially, I had two shares, just kind of a, the novelty, so I could uh, give one to my two sons, say they own part of the team for that novelty. But um, it seems like it might be uh, undervalued at the moment, right around $2.4 billion. I'm thinking if they were to sell today, they'd probably go around three and a half. Who knows? I do not know how to value this. Wondering if this might be a good play to get in, because I know uh, historically sports teams are hard to get into, private equity, but this team is publicly traded. Let me know what you think. Thank you. All right. It's an interesting one. Yeah, Atlanta Brave Atlanta Braves Holdings and two point two billion for I wouldn't say I mean Atlanta's a fairly big market. I wouldn't say it's a large market, but it's not a small market either. I'd say a mid market team, right? Uh two point two billion uh compared to I thought what the Dodgers just traded at a lot. <laughs> I should say that. I forgot. I think it was six billion, five billion, I forget. Um so you know, is this undervalued? I mean, not compared to its cash flow, right? This is more of a trophy asset, and you're just trying to uh, ride the trend of baseball. Frankly, now I've been I've been saying for a while. I actually think baseball of the three major sports has the most challenges going forward. Part of its demographics, just the average baseball fan, is older than NFL or NBA fans. Uh, the positive for baseball is that they have so many games, twice as many games as NBA and almost 10 times as many games as NFL. And so there's a lot of content to be created and they certainly have done a good job of monetizing that. But, you know, soccer is getting more popular here in the United States. Hockey still kind of, I would say it's trending sideways. And this would be a play on that baseball will outpace the growth of many other asset classes when I think the demographics are challenging. Um, so that's my issue with it. You know, if you want to own it because you're a Braves fan is the novelty of it. Sure. Uh, but I don't know if I love it as investment, to be frank, uh, just because of, of those trends within uh, baseball. Still a sport. I think it'll be around for another few decades at least. But it's more of what is the trend of interest in it. And I continue to see, continue to see uh, attendance across the league struggle and the popularity of NBA and NFL, I think will continue to uh, dominate the sports landscape here in the U S uh, and I think baseball will continue to lose share. So, you know, you're not buying it for anything that more than the trend of the value of baseball clubs. And I think there's better opportunities.
Thanks for the call. Now, the first quarter feels like it's moving pretty fast, and we're already closing in on the end of February. And might be telling you, we've told you many times, shall we say, that this is a, a new market regime and it requires new thinking. So if you need a portfolio review, second opinion, don't hesitate to reach out and take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. And we'll give you a rundown of your portfolio. How are you positioned? Are you taking the right risk based on your risk tolerance level? Are you leaning into the right sectors and style factors in the market or, or not? And we can give you a full rundown of kind of your financial situation and make an assessment of what changes you should make, if, if any. Maybe there's nothing to change. But I encourage you to reach out via our website at investtalk.com. Now, this is Invest Talk, now with over 58 million downloads, thanks to you. And our work continues in 30 seconds, so hang on. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Everyone's situation is different. I just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I'm wondering if now... 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. Now let's uh, talk a bit about AI and how it relates to the first major bubble that I think most of us saw, and that was dot-com bubble 1.0. And when you hear CEOs like Sam Altman of OpenAI talk about raising trillions of dollars, not billions, trillions of dollars, you can, you know, if you think about it, trillions of dollars, you talked about raising as much as seven trillion, which is more than the combined GDP of the UK and France combined. That level of capital raise says, are there parallels to what you saw in the telecom industry in late in the late 90s? You know, back then it was all about the internet itself transforming the world, and it certainly did. And back then, it wasn't really about hardware. People didn't, or sorry, it wasn't really about software. Although today, software is eating the world. Hardware was the main driver. You needed hardware to connect to the internet. And most people didn't have that. Today, hardware is everywhere. It's easy. It's fairly commoditized. You can communicate on the internet for with something that was, it's 10 years old. Right? So hardware was the big thing, though, back then, because that's where the growth was. Everybody needs to buy up hardware. And then what happened was just like this happens often. You can see this, this theme back then it was look at all this growth and they extrapolate that forward dramatically out five, 10 years. And then suddenly everyone has a server and, a, a all the network equipment needed to get to the internet. And now they're not going to buy anymore for another three, five, 10 years. And suddenly growth slowed down, sectors valuations got way too high, way astron astronomical. And many of those companies dropped 80, 90% from their high. Someone bankrupt. 20, 20 telecom groups went bankrupt by 2002. And you saw this in the COVID era with software. 
when everybody was working from home, like a Zoom, go look at Zoom's chart. Everyone was extrapolating that growth of those companies for small, a short period of time out five, 10 years and said, that's the type of growth that we're going to see. And then suddenly things went back to normal. You realize you don't need as much software. Everyone had bought the software that they probably need. And those stocks came crashing down. And I think you're seeing the same thing right now in AI. Think NVIDIA. Okay, you buy a bunch of NVIDIA chips, but are you really going to buy those new chips every single year? Probably not. Some people, but that's going to be a small slice of those that are involved in AI. Because those chips will be good enough for a while. Until there's a major breakthrough. And if you look at the history of the chip industry, it's giant booms and busts. You're even seeing that right now. Not in, not in AI chips, but in other types of chips. There's massive overcapacity because of the chip shortage a couple of years ago. So is AI going to be groundbreaking? Yes. But A, it takes longer than most people expect. And the near-term growth cannot be extrapolated. All right, we're heading into a break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Luke. It's John from Georgia. I'm just calling to ask you guys what you think about interactive brokers, IBKR. I own it right now. I'm up pretty good, about 28%. Just wondering, is this a time to take profits or do you see it moving higher looking forward? I mean, looks like there's some growth to be had, but just wondering what I should do here. Thank you. Are right, looking at interactive brokers, and this is probably now one of the smallest large brokers that are out there, only $11 billion market cap. There's been a lot of consolidation with Schwab buying TD. Schwab's market cap is $115 billion. You obviously have Fidelity out there. Uh, what Morgan's, was it Morgan Stanley buying E-Trade, I believe it was? Um, so, you know, Morgan Stanley is very large. Um, or is it Merrill? Either way. Uh, Interactive Brokers is kind of alone. And I don't think there's from regulatory standpoint, going to be more acquisitions. So I think it's kind of on its own. And the big question is, can it compete with those bigger names that have, uh, you know, just more scale? Uh, now, Interactive Brokers typically, historically, has had lower commissions than the other ones, but now commissions are zero. So, you know, there's not much more room for them to, to go down. Um, now, there's a lot of trading, and this is a place where a lot of individuals buy and sell stocks or options or futures or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of activity there. Uh, we're seeing really peak activity for your average investor right now. Uh, and so I would be looking to take profits on this. Uh, now, it's a solid company with good growth, but you're already seeing growth slow down. A year ago, revenue growth was 64%. And last quarter, it was 17%. Earnings were only up 17% versus 57% a year ago. So 
It's trading about a market multiple, but I don't see a lot of competitive advantages here. And next year's earnings are supposed to be down 1%. So you're up. Uh, also, another thing, debt. They have a good amount of debt, $11 billion of net debt on their balance sheet. That worries me. So I would be taking some profits here. Uh, you're up nicely. It looks like it's losing some momentum, frankly. Uh, and this is a good time to trim. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on can the U.S. take over China in solar panel production? And the simple answer is it's going to be very hard. Despite all the incentives to bring manufacturing of this type of technology back home, China has cornered the market on the main input to these products, and that is polysilicone. Right now, China produces 97% of the world's polysilicone. Now, we're big in thin, thin film, thin film uh, solar panels, but that's not most applications for solar. And the main reason is cost. Polysilicone in China costs about half as much as here in the United States to manufacture. And a big part of that is actually energy. Okay. The equipment is also expensive. And the overall cost to manufacture a solar cell is about, about half in China than it is today. So a lot of that is scale. Right? If we scale up, we can close that gap. But you know, labor costs, while they're a lot closer than they were a decade ago, Still cheaper in China. And so the next question would be, where will this production probably come from? It's actually south of the border, Mexico. And then there's the glass, specialized glass that is needed for these solar cells. Very little is made here. And so this the complete supply chain to actually build these things is going to take years to build out and to compete. And so while I think it's a interesting industrial policy, it's not going to transform this industry overnight. It's going to take many years, just like most things. Everyone hypes up the change, but change happens slower than most people think. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. 
For more information regarding KTP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.